Intel checks in on its effort to achieve net zero greenhouse gas emissions globally by 2040. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. The big microchip maker Intel operates in an industry that has a huge impact on the environment. Yet its product is essential to countless high-tech and electronics items. So Intel is in the midst of a hugely ambitious project to hit net zero emissions targets across its plants and supply chain by 2040. Recently, the company issued its one-year update of that years-long effort, and we'll hear about its progress from Fawn Bergen, Corporate Sustainability Manager. She outlines initiatives in global renewal energy usage, development of green chemicals, participation in industry-wide groups to speed up solutions for reducing emissions, and creation of chips that possess higher computing power or running more efficiently. Still, there's a lot more to be done. Here's my conversation with Fawn Bergen. Von Bergen, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for inviting me. Glad to be here. Intel has set a net zero greenhouse gas emissions target by 2040. When did you first set that target? I think this has actually been an evolution over really decades, starting with over 20 years ago, setting our first greenhouse gas emissions target, working across our industry, and all the work that we've done leading up to this. And, of course, companies always ask themselves, we've achieved that goal, what's next for us? And we have achieved a lot of reductions across our history. And so it really understanding kind of the climate science, what the expectations and really where we need to go across the world, what is Intel's role in that? So committing to reaching as close to actual net zero through through direct reductions is our focus now. And that's just really that next phase of our journey and being part of this global drive to reach net zero. Okay, but it was a series of targets that became more and more ambitious, was it? I mean, was it percentage targets? And then all of, and then you came to the point where the target became net zero? Or was it always net zero by 2040? I mean, how did that evolve over the years as you kept resetting your target and, and being more and more ambitious about it? Yeah, that's a great question. Our historical greenhouse gas reductions targets have been sometimes a, a percent reduction for our direct emissions. Sometimes it's been a reduction per some type of production unit, like square centimeters of silicon is, is one of those. So it's really for each step in, in that process, when we set, sometimes the goals are shorter term, a couple years, sometimes 10 years, this time, of course, looking out to 2040. So it's really, what have we achieved? Where is the expectation? So on a, of course, customers now are looking for on uh, on a production unit basis, what are they buying from us? It's been that evolution of what have we accomplished? 
Where do we need to go in this next phase? And then what is the world expecting of Intel? So then we can meet those future requests or meet the expectations of what our customers are driving to. Okay, well, let's run down some of the highlights of the initiative as I understand them, and then you can correct me or add or subtract anything according to what you're really doing there. But uh, energy and operations, energy usage is a big deal for you as I understand it. Your uh, electricity usage is about your renewable, global renewable electricity usage stands today at approximately 91% compared with up from uh, 80% in 2021. How are you doing that, Fawn? I'm so glad you asked that question because you're right. Energy is worldwide one of the biggest contributors to greenhouse gas emissions and climate change. So everyone really has to look at their energy use. Intel is at at our core of our business. The heart of what we do is manufacturing of semiconductors and manufacturing and across our whole industry, not specific to Intel, does use a lot of energy, as do we also use chemistries and water. And so that piece of driving towards net zero really does start within manufacturing. And that's where we, to get there, we have to reduce both emissions related to energy that we create on site, for instance, a boiler, natural gas, but that's also the electricity that we use and we're getting towards that 100% renewable electricity, which we, we actually achieved 93% by the end of last year. And as you mentioned, we have the commitment out to 2030 to get to 100%. So what we've done to date to get to 93%, a lot of that is renewable energy attributes. We're paying for that renewable electricity to be created on the grid. And we also have been working to do contracts, power purchase agreements. So from like a a local provider and in some of our locations, we also generate, we have the benefit of large sites. And so we have solar panels, for example, on a lot of our campuses that also double as a nice sort of cover for employees to park. And then for us to get to 100%, the other locations that were not there yet. And we're 100% today in the U.S., Malaysia, Israel, and Ireland. What is left for us now is mostly in Asia. And we've been working, our utilities team has been working on developing, working with providers there so we can purchase something that's scalable to Intel's electricity usage but is it's really important that it's credible that we feel like we can stand behind making that those claims. For, so for us to get to that hundred percent, it's China, Vietnam, India primarily are those those mm-hmm. remaining locations. And that function is a function of the fact that up to this point you just haven't had the supply, you haven't had the infrastructure to be able to provide you with that renewable energy energy source as much as you have in North America and Europe, for instance. Correct. Those are typically more kind of emerging markets in renewables, and it's certainly something that Intel's been working on for many years. Mm -hmm. In the U.S., we've been for many years one of the largest. I think in some years we were the largest purchaser of green power in the U.S. We view that as not only were we purchasing this to reduce our carbon footprint, but to also put our dollars behind to spur the market so there's more renewables at a lower cost to other companies as well. 
Green power meaning what exactly? You alluded to solar. Is that the main source of renewable energy? Are there others that we might talk about, a wind or hydro or anything like that? Yes. We purchase the renewable energy certificates for the energy sources that are typically considered zero emissions, meaning solar, wind, hydro. Those are the types of recs or renewables that whether we generate it on-site or off-site where we, we have a direct purchase. We look for those that have the lowest impact. So it's not typically like a biomass and in those types of energy. So it's really those renewable sources to get our scope to emissions to be zero. Are you ever able to send energy back into the grid from your operations? Are you an energy producer, a net producer at any point? Or is that not possible with the size and scale and nature of your operations? Yeah, I don't know the, the actual mix, but our sites where we do have on-site solar, those are maintained and, and that energy to go onto the grid. You mentioned water. The production of microprocessors requires a tremendous amount of water. What can you do to reduce your water usage worldwide? Or what are you doing? That's such a great question. So our primary focus when you talk about kind of our watersheds and our impact and water stewardship efforts is around reducing the amount of fresh water that we would take from a watershed. So that includes a lot of on-site water reuse. That includes other types of conservation at a simplest level, something like low-flow faucets. We have large campuses, so making sure that we're using water as efficiently as we can, whether it's an office or our manufacturing sites. And then we have some partnerships with our local communities, Israel for, for one. We treat some of our wastewater is then reused in the community by farmers in, in Israel. They use recycled or reclaimed water for agriculture there. So we have some unique partnerships in places like that that also reduce that impact that we have on our freshwater resources. But it absolutely has to start with using water efficiently in our operations. But that's not all we do. We invest heavily in, we have actually three large-scale water reclaim facilities where we can treat and reuse water to kind of the scale of a, a publicly owned treatment water plant. So then we can reuse that water on site and we can treat it to what are factories, our, our support systems. So that, that water can be reused in cooling towers, for example. It can be reused in site emission control systems like scrubbers. So not only sending the reclaimed water to agricultural uses, but using it back in your own operations for industrial purposes. That's, that's great that you can use the same water yeah. and re reclaimed water. There's a lot of talk these days about the uh, opening of new microprocessor plants, new fabs around the world. This is not something that you do tomorrow. It takes years. It takes billions of dollars. But there is talk, especially here in North America, of building new plants here. I am just wondering if you see into the future, as you reconfigure maybe where you're sourcing and where you're manufacturing is, does sustainability become a factor in that decision? In other words, are there certain parts of the world where you feel that you can be more sustainable based on the local infrastructure, based on the climate, based on whatever? And does that become one factor in deciding where to stand up new plants in the future? It's a great question. Since we're banding now, we're, we're building brand new sites in the U.S. and Ohio and Magdeburg, Germany. And for us as a company, water is 
is absolutely essential. Of course, having access to electricity, all those things are critical. We can't manufacture our chips without it. So that's the, the type of thing early on, the access to water. That's something that is incorporated when we're looking at where we might operate around the world. There's a long list of other factors in there. But for sure, the, the discussions, for example, in Ohio, when we're looking at sites around the world, for us, one of the things that we look at is their availability or their opportunities. We've had other peers and, and other companies reaching out to us. Can we create a partnership near your site that you're building in Ohio? So we definitely have that forward-looking vision of what are those opportunities? What could we do differently? What we could connect to, maybe from an infrastructure standpoint? In Ohio, for example, their grid is still a lot of fossil fuels. Because we are open as a company to purchasing RECs, because those dollars are going to generate renewable electricity, that for us, still left places like Ohio welcoming us into their community because we're able to still reach our sustainability goals through kind of our global network. And then questions like in Germany, our communities want to know, hey, you're moving in here. What are you going to be doing to protect the environment? What is Intel doing to really be a leader in sustainability and corporate responsibility. So we have those conversations also with the community and try to be as transparent as, as we can to understanding their concerns and being clear and open to sharing with them what our plans are. And I think to your question about what's in the future, it's exciting for me working in sustainability because this is not just an Intel issue. It's not just our industry. A lot of companies, especially in manufacturing, there's so much work to be done that it's opening up new partnerships or collaborations that maybe hadn't even been on the table years ago. So we can all come together. Let me ask you about that specifically. I want to talk about cross-industry collaboration as an important part of your overall initiative here. One of the things that looks important here is the development of green chemicals. I put quotes around that because I'm not sure what a green chemical is. Maybe you could help me to understand what direction you're going, who you're working with, and, and what is the prospect for incorporating those into your manufacturing process? Yeah, I'm sure you're not the only person that wants to know <laughs> green chemistry, <laughs> how that's defined, but what we're trying to accomplish in there. So much of our environmental impact is driven by chemistry. We're developing the process maybe 10 years out. So there's just an immense amount of work that goes into that. And to be able to make what we make, what our industry makes, there's no alternative right now. And so when we talk about green chemistry, we're looking at how can we reduce our environmental impact from the source? How can we work with our suppliers to develop new chemistries, new chemicals, new equipment, new abatement technologies? Because that's really where it's going to have to start for us to be able to reduce our emissions and in, in some cases reduce waste, which also comes from chemistries. So the overall approach on green chemistry is really how do we not just sort of look at it from the, the end point of where the emissions are discharged or, or water is used, it's upstream to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, reduce waste generated and in some cases, potentially reduce the amount of energy that's needed to run the equipment. So there's a lot in there when we talk about green chemistry, 
but it's going to be a significant R&D effort across our whole industry and our suppliers to make that happen. And there's a direct link, or is there a direct link, between the use of green chemicals and your ability to reduce your dependency on natural gas and fossil fuels? Is there an actual relationship there? Yeah, I think the closer connection is more the equipment and the technology as far as abatement technology. That is a lot of our energy use, and you specifically mentioned natural gas. That is a challenge in itself. We are looking or we're working and investing in things like energy recovery, heat recovery. How can we use that as part of our energy? We're electrifying equipment where we can, which then we can reduce that impact through renewable electricity. But this is also something that's really critical in our supply chain, working with our suppliers to develop new solutions, new equipment and technologies that will either we can use electricity or is more efficient in using energy. And then one thing that I think is a challenge for everyone is down the road, how are we going to get renewable natural gas to our site? There has to be a significant infrastructure built being able to provide that as an alternative to fossil fuels. Another aspect of cross-industry collaboration is the need for standards across all industries and globally so that we can all use the same standards for measurements. We all know we're talking about the same thing and determining things like carbon footprint, et cetera. Do you believe the standards exist today or does there more work need to be done among these various industries and within your industry to create them? It's such a great and very timely question. There are certainly areas where it is fairly standard. And I think right now there's a lot of standards, there's a lot of different guidance out there, and there's not really just one model that when talking about our industry, for example, it's across the board what companies, what categories a semiconductor might report for scope three downstream, like the use of products. Mm -hmm. So even within our industry, let alone the broader ecosystem, there's all these different standards that exist. And we're, we've been sort of making each of those more complex. And in my opinion, moving us further away from kind of a standard approach, because there's just so many out there. There are some, I'm really excited about the initiation of some industry groups, like there's the Semiconductor Climate Consortia. A lot of what that group came together is to standardize as an industry with our suppliers how we would quantify that impact. What are the categories included? What is the methodology? What is the right methodology to represent our industry? So there's definitely a need to standardize across, and whether it's a just calculating your scope three emissions to a big one that we're working on with some industry groups and across our company is around how we standardize the reporting of, say, your embedded carbon or your product carbon footprint. That's an area specifically where it's across the board. And then customers are left with, how do I compare these two or three companies when you're all doing it differently and giving me different types of data? So a mm. lot of need there. Finally, there is the product itself. The next generation, the new generation, the future generations of, your, uh, of the chips that you produce, your processors, do you believe that they will lead to a continuing improvement in sustainability in terms of requiring less less power or generating more power, being more efficient? Is that an important part of your initiative, the actual design of the chips themselves? Absolutely. It's definitely one of the, the pieces of that, the solution to these challenges. 
it's something even just from a competitive standpoint, you're looking at our, our products. Of course, if you're looking comparing products in one, it can have a more compute power for less energy, that's going to be part of your decision. And so that, that actually has been a lot of our climate strategy for a long time related to our products is making sure that the next generations are more energy efficient. And then beyond that, technology and our industry in general, we're a big part of what that solution is going to be in the future. So making buildings more efficient, being able to get more renewables on the grid. So absolutely the energy efficiency of our products that is a competitive piece of, of what companies look when they're making decisions. So that has been a, a really key part of our climate change strategy for, for decades, our products making them more efficient with each new generation and having more compute power so they can do more. And that continues now. Our, our customers are looking at it not just now as I think energy efficiency is something that has been part of that discussion for a long time. Now customers are really wanting to dig in and understand that embedded carbon footprint. So what is the impact of creating that chip from supply chain to manufacturing to how it gets to our customers? So they're also looking at it much more granular and not just the energy efficiency. That is a lot of work we're doing right now with our customers. Fawn Bergen of Intel, I want to thank you so much for talking to me about Intel's very ambitious initiative to achieve net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2040 worldwide. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That was my conversation with Fawn Bergen of Intel, talking about the company's net zero emissions initiative. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read our Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain, and also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well, and see you next time.